Hallelujah. Well, why don't you just lift up your hands with me right now? Holy Spirit, we're about to open your word, and we know that you were the inspiration and the author of the word. You inspired these men to write what's in our Bible through the power of your word. You know what it means, you know how to reveal, and you know what it's going to do in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we just give you free reign this morning. If we need to change the message, you know what's on the hearts. Let's go that direction. Take me in paths that weren't planned so that these people and myself can get what you're trying to get to us. We don't want man's thoughts. We want your thoughts, Holy Spirit. And so we receive that now. We thank you that you lead us and guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You lead us in paths of peace. And everything that you are the author of causes us to glorify God. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Woo! Thank you, Christopher. Hallelujah. Well... We are on week number four of our series called Make Him Known, and it's all about the knowledge of God. And we said there's three different ways that we can take that. There's just simply the knowledge of God, or that He exists, or there's knowledge of God in referring to His attributes and His nature. And then the third way we can take it is knowing what God knows, or the knowledge that God has. And we've told you throughout the first two weeks that God is wanting you to know all three of these things. God doesn't have a problem with you knowing what he knows. And he knows a lot more than you. He knows a lot more than the smartest person on this earth. Oh, come on. If God is not big in your eyes, you'll receive little from him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If God is not big in your eyes, you'll receive little from him. So magnify the Lord. Amen. Magnify the Lord. You know, I saw a really good perspective of that. Magnify God. When you take a magnifying glass and you put it on the paper, do the words get bigger? No, they don't. They only look bigger to you. When you put focus and emphasis on something, it grows in your perspective of it. When you put your focus and your anticipation and use God as the source that you draw everything from, his input into your life grows larger, though he doesn't ever change in size. He's as big as he'll ever be, and it's bigger than you could ever comprehend. As Paul prayed to the Ephesians in chapter 3, he said that you would know what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And basically, he's describing the boundaries of God. And the answer is there really isn't any boundaries of God. The more you pursue them, you're like, oh, I thought the edge was getting soon, but it just goes on. You know, even with our known universe, as NASA and these other space agencies are looking out into the galaxy that we have and the Milky Way, and they, they thought they knew the size, but they don't, they've realized that the universe is continually expanding because God's word never stops working. When in the beginning God created the heavens, he's referring to our universe, not heaven, and the earth, that continued 
to grow and to expand. And so the more emphasis that you put on God and on his knowledge, things will grow and or the things of God will grow and expand in your life. If you focus on lack, guess what? Lack will increase in your life. If you focus on your fear, fear will grow increase in your life. If you focus on your anxieties and worries, that will expand in your life. Whatever you draw attention to, you will gravitate towards. And so if God is not your primary focus, there's nothing else that's worthy of being your primary focus. And we have to understand that when we talk about God, most people are their own God. What can be done for me? What do you have for me, God? But you know, there's something that changes when you take your perspective and say, God, what can I do for you? Not that he needs you to do anything for him. But give and it shall be given unto you. You realize that every time God gives to you, he expands He's never lessened. He can't go into lack. He can't go into lessened. We often think that if I give of my time here, then I'm less time. You know what? God makes time for you. And that's why Paul said, redeem the time for the days are evil. A better way of looking that, at that is when you give God the focus of your time, evil things don't manifest in your life. The things that you don't want don't manifest in your life. Why? Because God only knows how to give good gifts. That's right. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning or any changing. He's giving good gifts today. He's giving good gifts today. He's giving good gifts tomorrow. He's giving good gifts next week. He's giving good gifts next year. He will never stop. That's right. He doesn't know how. His nature is to give. For God so loved, he gave. Hallelujah. So Paul's heart cry in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, was, I want to know Christ and experience the power that raised him from the dead. So for Paul, it wasn't just about accumulating knowledge. Think about that for a second. You can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn all your life and never accomplish a single thing. But until you take the knowledge that you've gained and put it into practice, it will be of no benefit or any value to you. So we, there's Christians, myself included, that there's things that I have read in the Bible all my life that I've never put into practice, so it's not been fruitful. But whatever you put into practice begins to multiply. And that's what Peter said here. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. So grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor, his, his power and ability working in you and through you, and his peace are multiplied to you. I think that's exactly what we need today is a little more peace, right? They say that there's an epidemic of anxiety and depression and suicide, specifically among the younger generations. They say that, that the statistics are dropping in like teen, teen uh, premarital sex and drug use. They say those statistics are dropping, but anxiety, depression, and suicide are skyrocketing. And the reason is they don't know how to have relationships, and they don't know how to connect with people. And that's why you're seeing that loneliness escalate. And they're not out there with their friends doing those things because they're spending more time alone. But God wants to impart peace to every generation. That's right. Isn't that what the angels declared on the day that Jesus was born? Peace on earth. He's not saying that it was the end of all war and all strife and all struggle. He was saying the one that gives peace is now here. 
and you can draw from that peace. If you receive Jesus, there's such an abundance of peace. There's more ability in you to walk in peace than there is to walk in worry. Hallelujah. Feed your faith and starve your fears. And so Paul said, grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want those things multiplied. I don't want addition and I don't want subtraction of grace and peace. I want multiplication. And he said the way that that happens is the more you know about God, the more you're able to walk in. But I really like, I told you last week, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians because they're what is called the prison epistles. They are the ones that Paul wrote while he was locked up in his first imprisonment in Rome. And so he didn't know if he was going to be released. He didn't know if he'd ever get to go back to Philippi or Ephesus. He'd never been to Colossae at this point. And so he wanted to impart his, the knowledge that they needed, the things that he didn't get to share with them. And so in each one of those three books, Paul is trying to emphasize what is most important. And for all of the prayers that he prayed for those three churches, they all started with, let you then be filled with all the knowledge of your will, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. And so Paul was wanting them to know that you can receive the knowledge of God. Right. And he was praying that that's what they would take from God, is his knowledge and his understanding, because he knew this principle that Peter did. Grace and peace are multiplied in the knowledge of God. I hope you brought your shouting shoes this morning. I told you when we started this series that we were just hitting gear one. And I'm thinking we're going to go through all the gears this morning. So if you don't want to have a good shouting time, you may as well get up and leave now. Because, man, God is good. And I like what Brother Hagin said. He said, the word that you get excited about is the one that will actually begin to work in your life. You can get excited about a football game, a soccer game, a hockey game, or a, or a party, and you can't get a smile on for God, a shout on for God. Come on, who is your God then? Is he not higher? Is he not bigger? Is he not worth it? Is he not the one who's worthy of praise? Isn't that what it says? Great and greatly to be praised is his name. So get your shout on this morning. But as Paul was starting to wrap up the book of Philippians, he said this to them. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. How many of you know that you emphasize what's most important when you're closing? what you're wanting them to take away. What's the one final thing? He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And you want to know what? If you can fix your thoughts on what is true, that tells me that we have the ability to fix our thoughts and dwell on things that aren't. You know, we have to understand that each of us was raised with a culture in us, a set of beliefs and a set of thought processes that were shaped by our families, were shaped by our general culture, were shaped, were shaped by the religion that we grew up in and the thought processes that had been taught to us. But we have to understand that those things might not be true. And so the question we always have to ask ourselves when we're seeing things in the Word is, are my beliefs Bible-formed or culture-formed? Someone may have told you that the Holy Spirit is not for us today. That is not a Bible-formed belief. It said that the Holy Spirit would come and He would abide with us forever, which means these days didn't end. Somebody may have told you that speaking in tongues isn't for today. Guess what? That is not true. 
Yes, it does say in Corinthians that speaking in tongues will cease. And people say, well, it's just ended. It's not for today. But it also says right after that, that knowledge will cease. Has knowledge ceased? then that leads me to believe that that entire chain of thought has not happened. You don't need to be able to speak in God's language when you're with God and having perfect harmony with God. When you get to heaven, you won't be, be, need to bypass your brain. And great shout out to the women. They're having an awesome time in the, in the ladies' Bible study. People getting uh, uh, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. That should be going on every day yeah. within the church. It has never ceased. If we read the book of Acts, that's just what happened wherever they went. Philip went down to Samaria. He preached Jesus to them. People started getting healed and saved. Peter and John came down and laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. Paul, 20 years later, he runs into a man named Apollos, and he says, have you received the Spirit? And Apollos said, I didn't even know there was one. This is 20 years later. And so he laid hands on Apollos and he began to speak with other tongues. You know, we often read the Bible as like here and here and here and we think of them all the same. It was written over a long period of time and a lifetime. And as Pastor Robin was talking about faithfulness, we need to be faithful over a lifetime. Not faithful in moments because God is faithful over a lifetime. And you will miss out on God's faithfulness when you don't show up to receive God's faithfulness. Hallelujah. So he says, fix your thoughts, which means you can lock your thoughts on what is true about God. You can lock them right on. Fix them. If they're broken, you can fix them. A lot of people have broken thoughts, broken thought processes, broken emotions, broken emotions in the way that they've been raised, but you can have them fixed. I love that it says that God is the great physician. He heals wounds that no doctor can, no psychiatrist can. He can put you back together. We can make him better. The six million dollar man, we can rebuild him. God will do it. But you got to show up. Get on the table. The Bible says to present yourselves as living sacrifices. What's the difference between a dead sacrifice and a living one? The living one tries to get off. Then the next verse he says, and keep putting into practice all you have learned and received. Catch this thought here. Knowledge without application will continually lead to frustration. What you know that you don't apply will lead you to frustrated points in your life. And what happens when people are frustrated? They lash out. Wounded people hurt other people. But when you apply the word of God, it allows you to walk in the promises that he's given to you. So knowledge without application is frustration. Frustrated people do stupid things. They blame people. How many people have you've heard someone blaming God for something you know he had no part of? Or blaming other people that they're their problem? Generally, 99.9999999% of the time, you are your problem. And people don't like to hear that, but it's true. God is not the problem. Your neighbor does not have the power to change your life. You do. So your thoughts, your actions, your applications will by far and large have more effect than anyone else in your life. 
So apply the word of God. So last week we were talking about starting some of the characters of God, and we were speaking about God being Elohim and how that describes him as being three but yet one, which is an interesting concept. It's kind of like, well, is are we a mon monotheistic religion or a polytheistic religion, you know, having multiple? No, it's, yes, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but they are both fully God. Jesus is not the Father, but they are both fully God. And the reason why is because God can. He doesn't have to define himself by what you're able to wrap your mind around. And so we were exploring at the end in that little video that we did that when we look at the very Hebrew word of Elohim, it describes the Father, it describes the Son, it describes the Holy Spirit, and it says they show up to do a mighty work. Whenever you call upon the name of the Lord, all three show up to do a mighty work. God initiates the power. Jesus is the conduit of which it flows into your life, and the Holy Spirit is the one who carries it out. It says, in the beginning, God said. And we was told that in, in John, 1 John, that Jesus, or John chapter 1, that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and he was God, and all things were created by him. Jesus will forevermore be the conduit that connects heaven and earth. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got hooked up to heaven. And now the things of heaven can flood into your life on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. You can experience heaven right here and right now. And the Holy Spirit is the activating force. In the beginning, he was waiting. It says he was hovering over the faces of the waters of the deep. And when God said... He went to work. And when you put God's words in your mouth, he goes to work. Because whenever you call upon the name of the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit show up to do a mighty work in your life. Amen? And there's more that we could say about him being um, our Elohim. But you know what? It's best that we let God define and describe God. We will try to define God based upon what we understand. And it's really, it's no fault of our own, it's just human nature. Whenever you see something, you're trying to relate it to something you already understand. Harrison and I have been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia, and they're written in an old English style. You know, the words that we just don't use anymore, even like British English is so much different than Canadian and American English. And so we're saying the words and he's like, what's that? Or they were describing animals and he's like, I don't know what that is. What is that? And so I, they were said a warthog. And I'm like, well, it it's, it's, it's looks like a pig, but it's got tusks. And then he's like, oh, so it's like a pig. I'm like, yes, it's like a pig, but it's not a pig. You know, there's a difference between it. And so we often try to do that with God. Well, you know, he's like this, but yeah, he may be like it, but that does not describe his totality. We need to let God describe who he is to us. We need to let God define his boundaries and not us. Because so many Christians out there today are defining God by the, the way that other gods have been represented. God is not like Zeus. He is not fickle. He's not waiting for you to give the wrong sacrifice so that he can hit you with a lightning bolt. But so many people have that opinion of God. But we know we already quoted all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father who has no shadow of turning. So if he's good then, he's good always, which means he's not fickle. Hallelujah. So we have to let God define and describe God 
to us. And one of the ways that he presents himself in the Old Testament is the word El Shaddai, which his first definition is Lord God Almighty. But it really means the God who is more than enough. That's the God that you received. The God that is more than enough. I think it'd probably be fine if he was just what I needed. But he doesn't know how to just fill up the cup. He's kind of like when Pierce gets up to fill up his cereal bowl in the morning. He doesn't know when to stop, and it just blah, 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 and it goes all over. It's running down the counter. It's going down onto the floor. Come on. God doesn't know when enough is enough. So he defined himself as being more than enough. He's more than you need. If you're feeling like you're not even hitting the ceiling, you need to realize that God doesn't have one. If you're getting used to just getting your bills paid, get to know the more than enough God who wants to overflow you. How else are you going to be blessed to be a blessing? How else are you going to lift others up? Whew. El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. He describes himself as El Elyon, which is the most high God, meaning there's, there's no one above him. You've hit the top when you received Jesus. No one higher. He describes himself as Adonai, or the master, or the Lord. I think that, when I think about the word Adonai, it makes me believe that he should be the one that I check with. Isn't that? You don't do things outside of the master's commands. If he is the Lord or the one that, that is setting the direction and the goal, I'm to work within his boundaries. But we like to work within our own boundaries, but we have to understand how small they are. He's the most high God. But the most used word for God in the Bible is this one, Yahweh, which means Lord Jehovah. And it's used over 6,519 times. And it's what we refer to as the covenant name of God. Now, if you think back to December when we were doing our Name Changer series, we talked about this word. And it literally means yod heh vav heh. It's four Hebrew words. And the, they basically mean this in their picture. The outstretched hands of grace nailed in grace. So you want to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Go read the 6,500 times that they called on Yahweh. That's who they're referring to because Jesus means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the representation of Jesus throughout the Bible. And so we have to understand that everything that is connected to yad heh is connected to Jesus. And so there's some ways that in the Old Testament that Yahweh is described. And those same descriptions can be applied to Jesus. Are you with me? So there's attributes that God has revealed about himself through what we call the seven redemptive names of God. Now, I usually like to try and preach on this at least once a year because it's good for us to know the God we serve. And I think it's been about two years since I've got to it, though, so I'm hoping that you're ready to do this again with me. But the first of the seven redemptive names is this. Jehovah Shammah, or Yahweh Shammah, which simply means the Lord is present. 
means wherever you are, he is. If you think about loneliness, how can you be lonely if he never goes away? I heard one guy say he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's like, that guy just never stops talking. He's just nonstop all day. I swear he's a woman. And so he was a little frustrated at first. He's like, but you know, I've grown to love his voice. I've grown to love his presence. I've grown to have him here. And all the men say amen. amen. The Lord is present with you right now. But you know, it's not enough that he's present if he does nothing for you. One of his descriptions is that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time, forever. But here, this word Jehovah Shammah, it's first released in Ezekiel chapter 48, 35, when they are describing the city of God. They're saying, here's the gates, here's the size of the walls, and it says, and the name of this city shall forevermore be Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is here. Guess what? You are the temple of God. You have been made into the city of God. He is forever ever present with you psalm 46 1 says god is our refuge and our strength and he's a very present help in time of trouble so not only is he present he's there to help but help must be received hebrews 13 5 says for he himself has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we may boldly say Everyone say this with me. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. If the Lord is there, he's there to help. Right now, Father, we thank you that you're everywhere with us. And that you're wanting to help us even in the little details of life. In the little things that we just blow over. We know that there's better ways to do things. There's quicker routes to get to where it is you've told us to go. And so as we just dwell and reflect on your presence, Father, I just thank you that you reveal new paths to us in Jesus' name. The second one that he describes himself is Jehovah Nissi, and it's the Lord, my banner, my canopy, and my victory. So the very word that he describes, how he works in your life, means he's my banner. And it's not just any banner. It refers to the Jewish banner of victory. They would go out, they would win a war, and then they would put up the victory banner, and they would march it all around saying, We have won! That's the banner that God speaks over you every day. It's a banner of victory. It's also referred to as a canopy. What does a canopy do? It keeps the sun off you. It keeps the elements off you. God wants to be a canopy over you. It says that the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and they are safe. He wants to put his protectiveness over top of you to keep you from the elements. All kinds of stuff happens in this world. You don't have to let it affect you. Just because the economy tanks, you don't have to tank. Just because the flu goes through your region doesn't mean you need to get sick. Just because everybody else is depressed doesn't mean you need to. He is your canopy. He protects you from the elements. And so this word was released first in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. It says, Moses built an altar. Ah, This is after they beat the Amalekites. And he called it, the Lord is my banner. 
Now, we should also see this reflected in Jesus, right? Because all the qualities of Yahweh are revealed into Jesus. And so here in Colossians 2.15, it tells us that Jesus disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You don't have to worry or be worried about the devil. Too many, much of religion is like, oh, you got to watch out for the devil guy. Why? I tried to explain him the other day to Harrison because I made, I made a reference to the devil. And he said, who's that? We don't talk about him. We glorified God. And I said, well, he's kind of the bad guy. And Harrison said, well, who's the good guy? And I said, God? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, I, and he's like, and he was worried about that he was seeing things in his closet. And I'm like, it, it doesn't matter what's in your closet, Harrison. God has defeated it. He's literally squished the devil's head. And to a six-year-old boy, that's just like the coolest thing. What, the devil's got a smushed head? <laughs> literally. It says he crushed his head and the devil bruised Jesus' heel. But how many of you know that a crushed head is worse than a bruised heel? Yes. Right. So he's walking around like this. You don't need to be afraid of the enemy. They bow to the name of Jesus. They know who you are. I have a friend who used to be a Satanist, and he said that their, their, their main thing that they would like to do is they would infiltrate churches, and they would try and pervert everything that was going on until people would start killing themselves. And one day, and he said, most of these people, he's like, we, we would leave our bodies, you know, astral projection, and we'd go over and we'd start speaking things over these Christians. He said, but one day, this guy showed up in the meeting that we were projecting ourselves into, and he was all shiny. He was glowing. And he said, I tried to return to my body because it's produced such fear. This is a Satanist saying this. But I was trapped. And he said, he went back, to, after he finally got released, he went back to his body, and he came back into that meeting, and he got down on his knees, and he gave his life to Jesus because he f encountered the power of God. The enemy has no, no foothold on you. 1 John 4, 4 says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Hallelujah. I love what Romans 8 said. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever, ever today, tomorrow, any time in the future, ever be against us. These are the promises that we need to hold on to. As I said two weeks ago, as Christians, we need to get a spine and stand up and say, I will not put up with this. Not today, not tomorrow. This is what God has said about me. This is why you've got to know what God said about you. Because as I said, one, two, and three weeks in this, what you don't know can very much hurt you. If you don't know what's been provided, you won't walk in it. So we need to get a spine. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? There's one principle. You show up to the battle, you win. The third one is Jehovah's Sidkenu, and it's the Lord our righteousness. And in Jeremiah 33, 15, it says, In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from, the king, from king David's line. Who's he talking about? Jesus. 
This conversation is about Jesus. And it says, he will do what is just and right throughout the land. And in that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. You don't have to be righteous. He's already been righteous for you. That means we should walk away from stuff and follow in his righteousness, but it's not based upon your works. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he who made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Your sin has been done away with because his righteousness has burned it out. Romans 3.22 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in, faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. It's not what's good for me and what's good for you and what's good for the. It's good for everyone who believes. And we need to get rid of this idea of subjective truth. You know, I heard the statement the other day, Oh, you go live your truth. No, live the truth. There's not one truth for Robin and one truth for Jessica. There's only the truth of God. And that's the only one that's ever going to be acceptable. Now, we love everyone, even though they don't believe what we believe, but we don't have to bend to anyone else's truth but God's. Yeah. And it's true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. The fourth way that he describes himself is Jehovah Ra'ah, which is the Lord is my shepherd. And we see this reflected in Psalm 23. Actually, if you read through Psalm 23, you see all seven qualities of the redemptive nature of God on display. Each one of them is in there. Just a little tidbit. But in verse number one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. But it doesn't look like that when I look at my bills, Pastor Jordan. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. What do we know about a shepherd? He leads the sheep to where they can eat. He leads the sheep to where they can drink. He leads the sheep to where they are safe. But how many of you know he can't make the sheep eat the grass? He can't make the sheep drink the water. And he can't make the sheep stay in the place of protection. That's the power that God's put in us for choice. He can't make you do anything, but he can definitely make it available. Hallelujah. So the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Some of you need to start speaking that over your finances. I have all that I need. Add a little El Shaddai in there and beyond. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 2 says, you once were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to the shepherd, your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Which means that there's more provision available to you than you may have realized. Because he has ways of blessing you that you haven't even thought of yet. Hallelujah. You know, that's why I like that confession that we do. I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs. Raises and bonuses, benefits, sales, and commissions, estates and inheritances, interests and incomes, rebates and returns, yada, 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 all down the list. Why? Because God doesn't need all of them. He just needs one, but I'm expectant that God's got a path for me. The fifth way that he describes himself is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our peace can also be defined as the Lord our 
prosperity. And there's so much of the body of Christ has a poverty mentality. They really do. Not in this church. We cast that out of ourselves a long time ago. And God just continues to increase us and increase us and increase us and pour blessings over me. I don't know how you are, but every year things get better for me. Doesn't mean I don't have problems. Doesn't mean I don't have trials. But God, in spite of them, is still able to bless me and increase me. Now you can come along for the ride with us. You don't have to stay where you are. The Lord is your peace and your prosperity. Now, as I was preparing this message, I just kept getting all these different things in regards to the peace of God. And so we're ending the knowledge of God this week, but next week we're going to do a message on the peace of God. If you need a little more peace in your life and a little less worry and anxiety, or you know someone that does, drag them to church next week. We're talking about the peace of God. And what you talk about begins to show up. I believe that next week there's going to be things breaking off people's minds, just like the bands that have been squeezing them and squeezing them and squeezing them. We command them to be removed in Jesus' name. So if you need a little peace, you need to make sure that you are here. Hallelujah. And it says here in Judges 6.24, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there he named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Now, the thing you need to know about this story is this happened before they ever fought a battle. Gideon declared that we're at peace before they were at peace. And sometimes you got to speak in faith. Actually, not sometimes. All the time, you got to speak in faith regardless of what you see. You speak it before you see it. You accept it before it's even walked into your life. That's faith. I don't understand how people can be so accepting about everything that shows up at their door, but yet so rejecting of the things of God. Open your heart and receive. They're already walking into your life. Isaiah 26.3 says, I will keep you in perfect peace. All who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed. There's that word fixed, which means that you can let your thoughts wander or you can fix them on God. He said in John 14.27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, the thing you need to know about shalom is its, its secondary definition is this. Nothing missing, nothing broken. When God's peace floods your life, he starts putting pieces that were torn out back in. Things that were broken in your life, he starts mending and putting them back together. God, you're mending relationships. Thank you, Father, where strife has tried to rip things apart and ruin families, you're mending relationships. You're flooding your peace into those situations. And we call you our Jehovah Shalom. Hallelujah. You know, you don't need to remember these words as Jehovah Shaman, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, but you need to remember the principle. Hallelujah. Number six, as he describes himself, is he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. The Lord that heals and restores my soul. That second part has to do with this old noodle. He will fix your mind. He will put it back together. You know, it's hard to really separate the attributes of God because they all mush together. In peace, he fixes your mind. In Rapha, he fixes your mind. He puts everything back together because it's just part of his nature. He's the fixer. We had a problem. He fixed it. He had a perfect system. We broke it. He sent Jesus to put it back together. Hallelujah. 
And so we see Jehovah Rapha introduced here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And it says, Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. So they've been running from the Egyptians. The Egyptians were just flooded out and destroyed behind them. And now they're on the other side of a great victory. But here's what can happen after you've walked through victory. It says, as the people moved into the desert of Shur, they traveled into the desert three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Now, think back to Name Changer in December. What did we say about Naomi? She changed her own name from beautiful to bitter. And what happened? It showed up in her attitude. When you allow your heart to become bitter, everyone else gets to see it, and it ain't pretty, but the only one who's not see, seeing it is you. And so God has just won a great victory for the children of Israel, and three days later, they've already forgot about his goodness. And it says in verse 24, and then the people complained. You've got to watch your tongue. Listen to your own words every once in a while, and it'll tell you the state of your heart. What are you speaking to others? If it's nothing but a bunch of sourpuss, clean out your thoughts. Clean out your heart. Let God back in to put things back together. And it says, what are we going to drink, they demanded. What is that frustration? Lashes out at other people. They're lashing out at Moses. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. This is interesting, because what would wood be a representation of? The cross! So this is a picture of what God has done on the cross for us. And so Moses, or Moses took the piece of wood and he threw it into the water and it made the water good to drink. He can change the nature of the streams flowing into your life. We already know that he said that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. In order for things to flow out though, you need to let them flow in. Hallelujah. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to them. And he said, if, if, there's a condition on this one, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that were sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So you want to know what the path to healing is for you? Listen, respond, he heals. Oh, come on. Let's pack up and go home. Listen, respond, and he heals. He'll always give you wisdom. We have to listen on the inside. If he tells you to stop doing something, it's probably because it's affecting your health. It's affecting what you do. You know, I remember with the, it was Jerry Savelle that he was having these severe headaches and his muscles were just completely locking up. And hey, before he'd minister, he'd have to have a masseuse come and work him out so that he could go out and stand up long enough to preach and then come back in and he'd go to bed. And so he started seeking God and God said, you drink like 12 cups of coffee a day, stop and it'll be fine. And he was like, I never thought that. So he stopped drinking coffee. He stopped having headaches. There's things that God can give you wisdom on. Even if the wisdom he gives you has nothing to do with the situation, follow it out. Amen. It doesn't have to make sense to your head. Right. His thoughts are higher. Right. And so he is the God that heals us. 
It's just part of his nature. And it says that evening, in Matthew chapter 8, 16, even many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and he cast out. And he cast out evil spirits with a simple command, and he sealed the sick. And this has fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah that says, he took our sickness and he removed our disease. If he took it and he removed it, stop pulling it back on. Hallelujah. Peter said, quoting Isaiah, he says, who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You know, people don't have a problem with God removing their sins, but then they're like, oh, but I'm not sure about this whole getting healed thing. He says it's the same, done at the same moment. When he bore the sins, he bore the sickness. John said this, he beloved, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Which means it starts on the inside before it's reflected on the outside. That's six. I said there was seven. You ready for number seven? I said, are you ready for number seven? Yes. I said, are you ready for number seven? He said, I am your Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord who sees and provides. God looks at your life and he knows what you need, when you need, and provides it. Which means he already saw the situation you're in now. Which means he's already provided right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whew. He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In Matthew, he says this, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate your th the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So he sees. That's the seeing portion of it. Then he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Which means that everything you need is found at the foot of God. Which is why Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. To receive help in our time of need. He sees and he provides. But he'll never do anything for you you don't want him to. You won't allow him to. And he's not just going to make it happen for you. It's a working together. He tells, you respond, it happens. And all of these attributes are wrapped up in Jesus. Meaning you already have them. They're already available to you. It flows even now. So why don't you just lift up your hands with me. Father, we thank you for who you are, who you've described yourself. We choose to look at you in this direction. There's so many different ways that people talk about you, but this is what you said about you. So we thank you that you are here. You are our righteousness. You are our banner of victory. You are our peace. You are our Jehovah Jireh. You see and provide. You are our Jehovah Rapha. You heal our bodies. We receive that from you right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You are a blessed people. 
You really are. You are more blessed than you realize. And Pastor Robin's got a word that he wants to give. So what's in the name? But everything you need. And so the entrance of my word brings light. As you are illuminated and you see all the attributes that I am, that I am in the word, allow it to bring uh, a completion to come forth from you, a completion of all that I have provided for you. In areas where there seems to be lack is an area where you need knowledge of me in. So dig in, mine out the treasures that I have placed for you in my word. Allow them to become a reality and allow me to flow in you and through you. <laughs> and so victory, victory will come forth. Victory will come forth and you will walk in a, a dimension, a, in a, a, a level of truth in your life that other people will be amazed. Other people will see what you have in your life and will ask, who is this God? Who is this smile? Who makes this smile upon your face? Who provides for you in your life? And you will say, it is the Lord, the Lord most high. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am all that you have need of, and I will flow it forth through you, to you, to others. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Yes, we thank you, Lord. Come on, honor the word this morning. Hallelujah. We honor your word, Lord. We honor your word, Lord. We receive it with thanksgiving and with joy, Lord. We honor your word. Hallelujah. 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 You know, the only thing that's popping up in my heart is what you make a priority is what you will eat from. If God is not a priority and is just rather an accessory, you're not going to eat of his goodness and his fullness. You may see little splashes of it here and there, but you want all that he has for you? Make him a priority, which means that you may have to deprioritize other things. Oh, but they're so important, Pastor Robin, or Jordan. <laughs> Are they really that important? Really, in the scheme of eternity, are they really that important? I have never missed a deadline on anything I had to do. And I'm telling you, I'm, I can guarantee I probably pray more than anybody in this room. That's not a boast. That is, I know when you put God first, everything else gets done because you do it in His strength rather than yours. Hallelujah. So prioritize God. It'll change your perspective. It'll bring fire back into your life. You know, I had, to, I had to focus and realize a little while ago that I was not as excited about the things of God as I used to be. And that's generally a reflection of what you're drawing from. You will find yourself dancing like you've never danced before, shouting like you've never shouted before, and walking in blessings like you've never had before. 
Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Let's have some good talks and fellowship. <laughs>